Well, good morning, and uh, I bring you greetings from Grace Baptist Church in Canton, Michigan. It's always a privilege to be with you, and I thank God that I'm able to come this day and help out uh, as Pastor Walden is away. And, and Lord, we pray that the God of our Father would even bless the ministry this day. And for the message this morning, uh, what I'd like us to do is to look at an event, an event that takes place in the life of Peter and what lessons we can learn from this event. So if you would, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. In Matthew chapter 14, I'd like to pick up the reading in verse 28. Here we read this. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Well, please join me as we seek God's help as we open up this passage in Matthew. Oh, our dear God and Father, we bow before you this morning and and we confess our utter dependence upon you. Lord, we need your help in, in everything that we do in our lives. And how much more do we need it even this day as we, we come to your holy word and we seek to open it up and, and seek to understand it and to apply it to our lives. We pray, our Father, that you might send your spirit among us. Open up our minds to the truths that you have in your word. Help us to be able to see what you would have us to learn and to apply it to our lives. We pray, Father, that all that is done this day might be done for your honor and for your glory. And we do ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if I were to ask you a question, if I were to ask anyone a question, this question, is it possible for a human being to walk on the water? I think you all would say, no, it's not possible. It's impossible for a person to walk on the water. I think everybody in the entire world would agree to that. They would say, no, it's impossible because it defies science. Science tells us, no, it's impossible for a person to walk on water. But even more, we would say, our own human experience tells us that it's impossible. It defies human experience. I think everyone has gone out to a lake maybe to a swimming pool, even children to a bathtub. And as you step your foot on the water, what happens? It doesn't stay on top of the water, it sinks through. We all understand that. It is impossible for man to walk on water. But what is impossible for man is possible with God. And Jesus himself walked on water. When he walked on the water, it was a miracle. It defied science. It defies human experience. And again, it demonstrates Jesus' power, his power and authority over all of creation. The account of Jesus walking on the water is given to us in Matthew, in Mark, and in John. But it's only in Matthew that we also have this additional account, the account of Peter's response to seeing Jesus walk on the water. 
and to help us understand what is taking place to set the stage for what's about to transpire in Peter's life, let us look again at Matthew chapter 14 and look back at verse 22. And we read this. Immediately, he, being Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Well, in these verses we see that Jesus makes his disciples get in the boat and cross the Sea of Galilee. He commands them. He tells them, get into the boat. He tells them when to do it. He tells them where to go. He tells them what they're supposed to do. Everything that they're doing. And they obey. They obey his command. The sea that they're crossing, it's the Sea of Galilee. The unique thing about the sea is that we're told that it's a sea that lies 650 feet below sea level. It has Mount Hermon on the north. It's surrounded by other hills. And because of its position, the winds sweep down off of the surrounding hills and the mountains. And as those winds sweep down across the water, those winds stir up the waves. And they can create sudden and fierce storms upon the Sea of Galilee. Well, this is what the disciples find themselves in. They find themselves in the midst of one of these fierce storms. They're a long way from land. In John's account, they say, he says that they're three to four miles out. And they're in the midst of a fierce storm. The winds are blowing against them. The waves are beating strongly against their boat. They're struggling greatly to make any progress. Mark's destroyed describes it as they're making headway very painfully. But then something happens. It takes place in the fourth watch. It's something that's unexplainable. At that time, it's about 3 a.m. in the morning. You can imagine the scene. It's darkness. The waves are, are stirred up. The wind is blowing. But yet they're able to see something in the distance. They see a figure At first it's faint. It appears to be a shadow. But that figure, that shadow is of a man. And that man is walking upon the water. But they know this is impossible. It's impossible for a man to be out there on the water in this storm, with these winds, with these waves, at this time of night. It's not possible. Who then could it be? What is this unexplainable figure? Well, we read their reaction, do we not? They react in terror. They're afraid. They think it must be a ghost. But Jesus hears them. And Jesus responds to them. And he tells them, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Jesus identifies himself. He tells them, it is I who is walking on the water. You have no reason to fear. Now Jesus' words were enough for all of them. For all of them except for Peter. Peter's response, at first Peter's like all the other disciples, he responds with fear. 
But after this initial response of fear, as he hears that it's the word, it's Jesus, he hears his Savior say it is I, all that fear changes. It changes to faith. He has faith in Jesus as he, as he hears that he is walking upon the water. And we read these words from Peter in verse 28. Look with me at these words. He says, and Peter answered him, he says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So we see Peter's faith. And as we see Peter's faith, we'll, we'll see a step of faith by Peter as he gets out of the boat. And as we look at the lessons we can learn from Peter's faith, we will look at it in two ways. First, we will see Peter's great faith. And then secondly, we will see Peter's little faith. And then hopefully some lessons we can learn from Peter's faith. Well, then first, Peter's great faith. Peter's great faith is seen by this bold request by Peter. Jesus had just identified himself. He said, it is I who is walking on the water. And Peter then responds with this, this bold request. He says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you. He begins this request by saying and addressing Jesus as Lord. It's a term that Peter often uses when he speaks to his Lord. It's a title of respect. He understands that it is Master that is speaking to him. It seems that Peter has no doubt that it is Jesus who is out there walking upon the water. But then as we look at the next words, they're somewhat puzzling. It might cause us to wonder, does Peter have some doubt? He says, if it is you, Peter says, if it is you, command me. This is a conditional statement. It's an if-then statement. If-then statements, for those of you that do computer programming, you know that an if-then statement is, works this way. If the statement is true, then the computer will execute the command. If the statement is not true, then the computer will not execute the command. But I do think that Peter's statement, if it is you, is really an indication of, of doubt. I found what Lenski wrote very helpful in understanding this phrase. Lenski writes this. He says, it's a mistake to read doubt into the conditional clause, if it is thou. For this is a condition of reality, meaning, if it is, as indeed it is. Peter does not doubt. Peter is certain that it is Jesus. Hendrickson writes this, that Peter's if better amounts to a since, since it is you. Therefore, I might suggest that we might read Peter's request in this way. Lord, since it is you, Jesus, since I know that it is you, I have faith to make this bold request. Command me then to come to you on the water. And as we think of this bold request by Peter, we see that Peter's making further progress in his faith, a journey of faith. With each and every miracle that Peter witnesses, his faith is growing. Early in his walk with Jesus, Peter experienced and saw Jesus' great power in the miraculous catch of fish. I think you all remember that. Peter, he had been fishing all night long. He was weary. He had caught nothing. But the next day, after Jesus had finished teaching, he said to Peter, go out into the deep and cast your net. Well, Peter may have had doubt, but he obeyed. And he went out into the deep. He let down his net. And Jesus made a great catch of fish by Jesus' power. The fish came, filling that net to a point of the net almost breaking. But Peter also seen Jesus' miracles upon the sea. 
You may recall that there was a previous storm at sea when, when Peter and the disciples and Jesus was in a boat. And there's this, this fierce storm that they were facing. And they were so afraid. They were afraid that they were going to die. But Jesus was asleep, asleep in the rear. And they wake him up and they say, But Lord, Lord, do you not care? We are perishing. And he saw Jesus arise. And with but a word, he rebukes the wind. And the storm goes away. The seas are calmed. What power he has experienced in these miracles. And here, once again, Peter sees Jesus' great power, power seen in him walking on the water. As Peter's understanding of who Jesus is grows, Peter's faith in Jesus is growing. He's got greater and greater faith in Jesus' own power and Jesus' authority. He believes Jesus can do the impossible. And that faith, that faith leads to this bold statement of request, a request that Jesus would command Peter to also do that which is impossible. So I think we see Peter's faith is seen in this bold request, a request to do the impossible. But also we see Peter's faith seen by his dependence on Jesus. Although Peter has this great faith, Faith that Jesus can give him the power to walk on the water. Yet it's important to understand this. Peter does not immediately get out of the boat. He doesn't do it on his own accord. No, he waits for permission. He asks permission before he gets out of the boat. Regarding Peter's request for permission, Hendrickson writes this. He says it implies utter dependence on the authority and the power of Jesus. Peter knows that Without the master's permission, he will not be able to walk on the water. And that apart from Christ's power, he will not be able to do so. So he asks for that permission and for that power to be granted to him. Peter knows his own limitations. Peter knows it's impossible for him to walk on the water. He knows he can't do it in his own strength and might. He's not trusting in himself. No, Peter's depending on Jesus. He's trusting in Jesus completely for Jesus' power. He's completely reliant upon Jesus to enable him to walk on the water. And therefore, Peter asks before he acts. In this request, Peter asks the Lord to command him to get out of the boat. And I would say that if Jesus never commanded him to get out of the boat, I doubt that Peter would ever, ever have gotten out of that boat. But next we see Peter's great faith affirmed, affirmed by Jesus' response to this request. And people may be wondering, why did Peter make this request? What was his motive? Was he being overly presumptuous? Was he being overly proud in himself, thinking he can do the impossible? Well, I've read many of the commentators on this, and most of them all agree that Peter's request is really, it's a request of faith. And I agree. I like the way that Hugh Martin puts it. Commenting on this passage, Hugh Martin says this, Whatever may be said of his prudence in desiring to make the astounding request, certain it is that the thought and desire could have occurred to none but a believer. He may have exceeded the bounds of spiritual wisdom. He may have utterly miscalculated his own strength and courage. He may have foolishly closed his eyes to the danger of his failing due to unbelief. And terror, once he stepped out onto the water, his proposal to walk upon the waters 
to the Lord is the wildest enthusiasm of faith. Yet, still, it is a proposal of faith. Great faith. And now while it's helpful to read the commentators and how they see Peter's request, I think it's even more important to see how does Jesus respond to Peter? In verse 29, we read Jesus' response to Peter's request. He responds with just a simple word, one word. He says, come. Jesus knows Peter's heart. Jesus knows Peter's motive better than any of us. If there was any presumption, any pride, I'm sure that Jesus would have rebuked him. Because we know that at other times, Jesus has rebuked Peter for his foolish actions, for his foolish words. But no, there is no rebuke of Peter in his request. Peter command, Jesus commands Peter to come, to step out onto the water, to come to him, to walk to him. So I suggest that Peter's great faith is affirmed, affirmed by Jesus' response to this request. But then, Peter's great faith is demonstrated by his act of obedience. It's one thing to have great faith. It's another thing to act on that faith. Peter had great faith. He asked for permission. And when Jesus commanded to come, it only took that one word, and Peter responded. He obeyed the command. Look back again at verse 29. We read this. So Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on the water, and he came to Jesus. Think of that for a minute. Peter got out of the boat. What great faith was needed? What exceedingly great faith was needed to act in obedience to Jesus, to get out of the boat? And you've got to keep in mind this. There's great risk to this obedience of Peter, this step of faith, because it's not like this boat was near the shoreline. It wasn't like the water was shallow, and if he gets out of the boat and Jesus doesn't enable him to walk on the water, he's only going to sink down maybe waist deep, and he can walk to the, to the shoreline. No, no, Peter is miles from land. He's in the midst of a storm. The winds are blowing. The waves are, are crashing against the boat. Have you ever been out on a lake in the midst of a severe storm? I have. The closest thing I came to, we were out on Lake Huron fishing. The day began fine. It was a beautiful day. The skies were blue. There was a gentle breeze blowing. The, the, the waves were just kind of calm, just sort of you know, going along there. And we went out. We went out to go fishing. The captain took us out to a point we could no longer see land. And while we're out there fishing, the captain says, there's a storm coming. We need to go to shore. And it was interesting to see the, the dramatic change that took place. Those blue skies became dark, threatening skies. That gentle breeze became a fierce, howling wind. And those waves that were just calm and moving along, they started to increase in size and ferocity. As we came back, as I was sitting there, bouncing along in the boat as we were going back to shore, I could, I could never imagine anyone wanting to get out of that boat and get into that water. I was thankful for the safety of the boat. Now thinking back to Peter for a minute, Peter did not have to leave the apparent safety of the boat. It's not as though the boat was sinking 
Now, I know that at times people will take great risks when they have no other option. But that's not the case for Peter. He had an option. He could have stayed in that boat. And he knows that if he gets out of that boat, he's going to step into those treacherous waters. And it's very likely if he doesn't walk, if Jesus does not enable him to walk, he's going to sink and potentially drown. It could mean his death. Yet Peter obeyed. He got out of the boat. He takes a step of faith, great faith. And Jesus enables Peter to walk on the water. And although we don't, we're not told how far he walked, yet looking back at verse 29, we know that for a fact Peter actually walked on the water. Now, I, I can't imagine what it must have been like, but the way I kind of would imagine it to be is that as Peter steps out, his foot comes down upon the water, that which was liquid becomes firm, and it holds up his body. Step by step, one step at a time, steps of faith, each time the liquid water becoming firm under his feet. And his purpose, his purpose in doing all of this was to go to Jesus. His focus was upon Jesus. He wanted to get close to Jesus, to be with his Lord. It's not like he's out there showing off to the disciples, saying, hey, look at me, I'm out on the water. Our, our text says simply, Jesus, I'm sorry, Peter came to Jesus, to be with Jesus. That was his goal. That was his purpose. Peter's obedience flows from his faith, great faith, faith in Jesus, not faith in himself. He got out of the boat, he walked on the water, and he came to Jesus. He did it by faith. Peter's great faith is demonstrated by his obedience. So this is Peter's great faith. We've seen it by his bold request. We've seen it acknowledged by his dependence on Jesus. We've seen it affirmed, affirmed by Jesus' response to Peter for him to come. And we also see it demonstrated by his obedience to Jesus' command. Well, that brings us to our second point then. Our second point is Peter's little faith. In verse 30, we read this. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. First, we'll look at Peter's little faith as it's triggered by a change in focus. Peter had started out well. He obeyed the word of God. He got out of the boat. He was actually walking on the water. He came to Jesus. Peter's faith was strong as long as he was keeping his focus upon Jesus. But then we see that Peter's focus shifted. We read, but when he saw the wind. Now, I think it's interesting to note this. The wind had always been there. The wind was blowing before he got out of the boat. Remember, the wind was blowing hard against them as they were seeking to cross the Sea of Galilee. The wind was blowing when Peter made the request. There's no indication that the wind suddenly stopped as he took that step of faith. We know that the wind continued to blow throughout the entire time that Peter was out on the water. In fact, it's not until verse 32 when Jesus and Peter got back into the boat that the wind finally stopped. So I suggest it's not the wind itself that's the triggering event for his little faith, but it's his focus. He's focusing in upon that wind. And as he does so, it's the reality of the danger, the risk, 
the impossibility of what he is doing, it all suddenly starts to strike home to him. And this change of focus, this change of focus is what causes Peter's little faith. But then we see Peter's little faith is evidenced as he's overcome by doubt. Peter's looking at the wind, and doubt starts to take take the place of faith. It's as though doubt is entering into his heart and his mind. As doubt is entering in, it's, it's as it were, it's pushing out his faith. There's not enough room in his heart for both the faith that he had had and the doubt that is coming. And as that doubt is increasing, his faith is decreasing. That faith that once had been great is now weakened. And now doubt is taking control. It's gripping his heart. And that doubt leads to fear. Fear of the wind. Fear of the waves. Fear of the storm. Fear of the circumstances. He's out on the water. He's miles from land. He's in the midst of the storm. He is fearful. And at that point, that's the point when we read that he begins to sink. Suddenly that that firm footing of his, that ability to stand upon the water, the water returns to a liquid form. It's no longer able to hold his weight. And he starts to sink down. I think of it almost like if you had a trap door beneath you and it opens up, suddenly that firm footing is gone and he sinks down, plunging down into the water. So we see Peter's little faith evidenced as he is overcome by doubt. But next we see, how does he respond? Peter cries out in faith, looking again in verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He, said, he cries out, Lord, save me! As he's sinking, we don't read that. Peter is relying on himself, trusting himself to save himself. He's not trying to frantically swim back to the boat. Nor is Peter looking to others and relying on others to save him. He's not like calling out to the disciples, come, come, save me, I'm sinking. Despite Peter's increasing doubt and his weakening faith, Peter still has yet little faith. And that faith, that little faith is enough. It's not completely gone. And that faith is enough to enable him to cry out to Jesus, Lord, save me. Peter knows that his only hope for deliverance, his only source for rescue was Jesus. And therefore he cries out in faith, Lord, help me. I'd call it a cry of faith. But then we see Jesus' response, his rescue of Peter. In response to this cry, how does Jesus respond? Jesus is gracious. In verse 31, Jesus immediately reaches out his hand and took hold of him. I can't imagine what the touch must have been like for Peter as he's sinking down into the water. I can think of perhaps an example of of a child. A child that, you know, his father takes him out fishing. They're out in the middle of the lake. And for some reason, let's say, the child falls overboard. And he's in the water above his head. And he starts to become terrified because he cannot swim. And he's crying out to his father, save me. And his father reaches out and he grabs his child by the hand. And as that child feels that strong grip of his father taking hold of him, it brings him comfort. He knows that his father will take care of him. And his father pulls him up out of the water, pulls him to safety. Perhaps it's the same experience for Peter, that same experience of a child being saved by his father. 
Jesus knew exactly what Peter needed at that moment. He didn't let him, you know, I'm going to let him sink for a little bit before I do something. I'm going to let him grovel for a little while before I respond. No, it was immediately. He knew Peter needed Jesus to respond immediately. And immediately, Jesus reaches out and grabs hold of Peter. The felt presence of Jesus calms his fears, reassures him Jesus is there. And we all know Jesus had never left. Jesus' power and authority, it had never changed. The only thing that had changed in this entire situation was Peter's focus. But then we see Peter's little faith rebuked. It's only after Jesus takes hold of Peter and saves him that Jesus rebukes Peter. Looking at verse 31, Jesus says to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And keep in mind, and remember, Peter was not rebuked for getting out of the boat. Peter is being rebuked for his little faith, for his doubt when he looked at the wind. The question is, why did you doubt? It's a piercing question, I would say, for Peter. Peter had seen firsthand the power of Jesus. He had seen Jesus walking on the water. But even more so, Peter had experienced firsthand the power of Jesus. He had had experienced Jesus' power to enable him to walk on the water. In light of the manifestation of of Jesus' great power and authority over the sea, why then did Peter doubt? Well, the apparent answer is, He looked at the wind. He saw the danger. He realized his own weakness, his inability to do what is is taking place. And doubt started to enter into his heart. Peter's faith turned to fear. It's that point that Peter began to sink. But there's more to this, I think. Peter's doubt. Why did he doubt? The main reason is he looked away from Jesus. He stopped depending on Jesus. He failed to maintain his faith and his trust in Jesus. And in doing so, his faith gave way to unbelief. At this point, Peter doubted Jesus, doubted his word, doubted his example, doubted his power. But why would he do so? With Jesus at his side, Peter should have known, should have known that he had nothing to fear. Jesus' power is greater than any difficulty that Peter would ever experience. No matter how fierce the winds may be, no matter how large the waves. And I think this just reminds us, Peter is still on a journey, a journey of faith. And he still has so much to learn. And there will be greater trials for Peter, greater challenges for him that he will face. And when they come, Peter needs to remember that he must maintain his focus on Jesus. He must continue to have faith in Jesus, no matter what, trusting in Jesus. So we've seen Peter's little faith. Little faith triggered by this change in focus. Little faith evidenced by this doubt that overcame him. Little faith that resulted in a cry of faith, and then Jesus' rescue, and then Jesus' rebuke of Peter for his little faith. Well, then what applications, what lessons can we learn from this? I suggest three things. First, I suggest we have a challenge. Second, a caution. Third, an encouragement. 
So first, the challenge. Will you, will I, take that step of faith? Peter had faith in Jesus. He believed the word of Jesus. He obeyed Jesus' command. He took a step of faith. He got out of the boat, and he walked on the water and came to Jesus. J.C. Ryle writes this. He says, It shows us what great things our Lord can do for those that hear his voice and and follow him. He can enable them to do things which at one time they would have thought impossible. We need to be ready to obey God. When he calls us, when he calls us to, to step out by faith, to take action, to serve him, to do anything for God, whether it's the big things in life, the great things, or even the small things, we need to remember that we need to take that step of faith. And when we do so, realize that oftentimes it's going to require that we get out of our comfort zone. It's going to require that we're going to have to completely trust and rely on the Lord to enable us to do that which I think many of us may think is impossible at times. I cannot help but think of those heroes of faith that we heard of even in the scripture reading in Hebrews chapter 11. Those who did great things by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he did not know. By faith, Moses left the comfort and the pleasures of Egypt. By faith, the people of God, they passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. Just a few of the examples of faith. But the theme that's common for all of these, all of them are taking action by faith. By faith, they are doing great things for God. But also keep in mind, as they are doing these things by faith, it also requires that they take risk. And I believe that's where we all get hung up. We may have the great faith, maybe even great faith to do great things for God. But then we start to look at the risk. We kind of do an internal risk analysis, I call it. And as we look at that risk analysis, we look at ourselves and and we consider, you know, the likelihood of success. Or we look at the consequences of failure. Oftentimes we're more focused on ourselves, our abilities, our skills. And a lot of times we get more, more caught up in emphasizing the challenges that we will face and the difficulties that will be in front of us. And as a result of that risk assessment, we oftentimes conclude, you know, I'm just not able to do that. Or else, oh no, that risk is far too great for me to do. We let our weaknesses, we let the strength of the obstacles, we let the potential negative consequences of our actions sway our decision. And therefore, we do not step out in faith. I suggest the problem that we have here is that we left God out left them out of the entire risk assessment. We forget the fact that anything we do is completely dependent upon God. Jesus is the one that gives us the strength and the ability to do all things, the great things, the little things, everything. For we know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I ask, are we ready to step out in faith, to take risks for God, for his kingdom? for his glory, to get out of our boat of comfort, to get out of our boat of security, to get out and to serve the Lord, to attempt great things, to attempt even small things, 
to attempt all things for God and for his glory. And as we do so, never forget that we're doing so by the faith and the strength and the power of our Lord. Trusting Jesus alone as the one that will enable us to do that which we're seeking to do for God and his kingdom. But secondly, I have a caution. A caution. We should ask before we act. Now, while it's true we need to step out in faith, we need to, but we need to be careful not to be overly presumptuous and foolish in our actions. Remember, when Jesus was tempted by Satan to throw himself from the temple, how did Jesus respond? He says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So therefore, we must learn from Jesus and likewise not tempt our God by taking unwise or foolish actions. So then how do we know? How do we know whether we should take a step of faith or not? Well, I suggest we learn from Peter. Remember that before acting, Peter requested permission. And then he waited for Jesus' command. He didn't step out of the boat on his own. He waited till Jesus commanded him to do so. He asked before he acted. Now, I agree. We do not have the incarnate Jesus here to ask. But I suggest we can pray to God. We should come to God with our prayers and ask God for direction as to whether we should take this action or not. But also, God has given us his word. As we're trying to understand, should we take this action or not, we should be searching God's word to understand his clear commands, to take the principles that are in his word and apply it to our situation. And as we do so, as we pray, as we read God's word, we should humbly seek God's guidance and wait. And wait before we act. Wait for the Spirit to lead us. Wait for the Spirit to show us if our actions are consistent with God's word. But once we've prayed, and once we've searched the scriptures, and we see that the action is consistent with God's word, and if he is calling us to act, no matter what the risk would be, I say we should obey. We need to obey, even if it requires us to take great risks. But then thirdly, an encouragement. When we take a step of faith and we find ourselves sinking in doubt and fear, remember to do as Peter did and cry out to Jesus. He will rescue you. You know, even when we're walking by faith, even when we're walking in the course of obedience to our Lord, the challenges, the trials, and the difficulties of life do not disappear. And we will encounter storms in our lives. We saw this with Peter. He was obeying God. He got out of the boat. He was walking by faith. But the danger was still present. The wind was still blowing. The problem only came when he started to focus on the wind. He let himself get distracted. He took his eyes off of Jesus and began to sink. Now, I know we can be hard on Peter saying, how is it possible for you to do that? But how often have we not done the same thing? During our walk with the Lord, how often do we forget to stay focused on Jesus? Sometimes we get more focused on ourselves and thinking, you know, I just don't have the ability to do that. Or we look at the challenge that's before us and say, oh, that obstacle's too great. I can never do that. And then we become overcome by fear causes us to struggle. We get distracted. 
keep in mind, our trials will always be present. They are ever-present, but so too is our Savior. Jesus is ever-present. He has promised He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Jesus is with us throughout all of the storms of life. But if our focus does shift from Jesus, if we start to focus on the difficulties and trials, and fear and doubt grips our hearts, and we find that we're struggling, we find that we're battling against the storms, and we start to feel overwhelmed, and and we're helpless and we're sinking, well, remember, do what Peter did and cry out. We have a gracious Savior. He will hear and answer. He will rescue you. He will not leave you sink. He who has begun a good work in you will continue it to the day of Jesus Christ. Trust in him. Can, can keep your faith in him. Continue to look to him. He will hear our cry. He will reach out and he will help us and hold us up when we're sinking. Well, may God even help us to learn the lessons from Peter that as we walk by faith, we need to stay focused upon Jesus no matter how severe the storms of life may be. But if and when we lose our focus and doubt and fear overcome, remember to cry out to Jesus. He's gracious to save. But before I close, I have a word for those who are here that may be lost. I say to you, is Jesus calling you today? Is he calling you to get out of your boat of comfort and ease, of self-sufficiency? of worldly, you know, pleasures? Is he calling you to deny yourself and take a step of faith and come to him? Well, I pray that God would give you that faith, give you faith to believe, give you faith to trust. I urge you, get out of the boat. Take a step of faith. Heed the call of Jesus. Obey him. Go to Christ, for it's in Christ alone that you can be saved. Well, may God even do so this day for some who are yet still apart from Jesus. Please join with me now as we close in prayer. Our dear God, we bow before you and we acknowledge that we are so thankful that you are there. You have been there from the beginning. You are the author of our faith, but we also know that you are the perfecter of our faith. And we know that you are continuing to work out your purposes and your plans in our lives. And as the trials come, as the storms may blow against us, Lord, we we know that you are still there with us. We pray, our Father, that you would help us to always keep our, our faith and trust in you, never doubting, always trusting, looking to you for your power, for your strength to enable us to be able to continue our walk, our walk through this world as we seek to faithfully obey you in all that we do. And Lord, we also would pray again for those who are here that still have not known Christ, who still have not taken that first step of faith. Lord, may even this challenge to them be a challenge that you use to cause them to leave their boat of self-sufficiency and worldly pleasure. May they get out of that boat May they step out upon the water, step out in faith, and come to Christ, for it is Christ alone who will be able to save them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you, Pastor Bauer. Now, in keeping with that message and in closing, let's turn to number 454 in the Trinity Hymnal. Number 454, My Faith Looks Up to Thee. And let's stand as we sing together. <laughs> 